Hello, friends, and thank you for joining Christ Church Online. We are in week two of our series called Love Letters from the Lord, and this week we are joined by our high school pastor, the Reverend Doug Rary. Pastor Doug will be preaching on the letter to the church in Smyrna and how we can remain faithful no matter the circumstances that we are facing. Here he is with this week's message. Thank you for listening. Good morning. Would you pray with me, please? Father God, I, uh, I thank you so much uh, for this church. God, I thank you for your church all across the world. God, I thank you for these churches that you wrote letters to that we get to read from here this morning. I thank you, God, for what you are doing, even though sometimes it causes us to not understand. God, we need your help sometimes. <laughs> we need your help all the time. God, would you speak to us here this morning? Would your Holy Spirit come into this place? Would you open our hearts and our minds to your word? Would it be your words that are spoken here this morning and not mine? And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Hey, well, throughout history, you know, we've had a whole lot of predictions. And we've had a whole lot of warnings about our future uh, that many have gone terribly, terribly wrong. Uh, For example... Uh, Charlie Chaplin in 1916 said this about cinema. He said, the cinema is a little bit more than a fad. It's a canned drama. Obviously, he didn't realize that movies, like movies like The Avengers, my favorite movies, right, were going to take on the way that they did and that his career would be founded upon it, right? The president of Vacuum Cleaner Company in 1955 said this, nuclear-powered vacuum cleaners will probably be a reality in 10 years. I am really glad that that did not happen, or we'd be all walking around with multiple limbs today. Ken Olson, who is the president of Digital Equipment Corporation in 1977, said, there is no reason anyone would want a computer in their home. I'm sure he wasn't thinking, let alone in their pockets. Am I right? And who remembers this? The Y2K crisis, right? Back in 1999, you better have turned off your computer by 11.59 p.m. or the world was going to end. The banking system was going to shut down. My parents had built a room in our basement stock full of food. I know because I had to eat canned yams every day, every month for many, many months, right? But I got to tell you, Living in the city of Pittsburgh, it's got to be the most difficult job in the world to be a weatherman or a weatherwoman in the city of Pittsburgh. Am I right? You know, and this is an actual picture of a five-day forecast from the city of Pittsburgh. As you can see and as you know, we can experience all four seasons within one week here in the city of Pittsburgh. In fact, they're calling for snow later today, but I brought a pair of shorts to change into just in case because I would not be surprised if we hit 60-some degrees. And those of you that have been living in Pittsburgh for a long time, you know we all love and miss our dear friend Joe DiNardo. Am I right? Joe DiNardo. And I found this uh, meme online for Joe DiNardo. Joe didn't predict the weather for the next five days. He told the weather what it was going to do for the next five days. That's right. Well, however, uh, as funny as that might be, sometimes we do get some warnings that we must take very seriously. Maybe you or someone you love has been diagnosed with cancer or some other sickness, and you're worried about that. Maybe you've just found out you're going to be laid off. 
Uh, Maybe your spouse has done something behind your back and you don't know what the future holds for the both of you. Maybe your doctor has just told you that you're going to have trouble conceiving children and you want children so desperately bad. Maybe you found out that your child is sick. Or maybe you found out that your child has some special needs that are going to be lifelong. Maybe you've discovered some financial problems and you're not sure how you're going to pay the bills or how you're going to provide for your family. Maybe you're worried about losing your house. Maybe you've got a grown child and they've gotten into some trouble and you're worried about that. You know, that's the kind of thing that was being written to these seven churches we are going to be studying in this series. You see, these were, these were young churches and they were being hit by wave after wave after wave of suffering. And they were being hit by wave after wave after wave of persecution. And Jesus knows that the worst wave of persecution is yet to come. So if you were a suffering church, who would you look to in midst of persecution? Well, you'd look to your leader. But here's the problem. You'd be crying out to your leader, help us, guide us, carry us during these difficult times. But where is your leader? Well, he's on exile in the Isle of Patmos, the Apostle John. So Jesus visits John on the Isle of Patmos, and he reveals to him some truths yet to come. And he asks John to write seven letters to seven different churches. So Jesus visits John while John is praying. And John, while he's praying, he hears this voice from behind him. He knows it's Jesus. And when John turns around to to see Jesus, John writes down in Revelation chapter 1 what he sees. And this is very important. He describes Jesus in seven different visual ways. It's important because in each of these seven letters that we're going to be studying, Jesus chooses one of these different visual ways that John described to tell his audience who the letter is from. For example, last week, Jesus addressed the letter to the church in Ephesus from him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the golden lampstands. Also, in each one of these letters, there's a pattern to be found. In each letter, we find a warning, an encouragement, a challenge, and in five of the seven letters, a correction. So today, we're going to take a look at the second letter, the letter to the church in Smyrna. So let's dig in. It begins in Revelation chapter 2, verse 8. These are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. So Jesus tells Smyrna this letter is from him. And as I said before, he does so by referring to himself in one of these visual characteristics uh, as referred to uh, in in Revelation chapter 1. He refers to himself as the first and the last, the, the resurrected one. Now, this would be of particular interest to the church in Smyrna because 700 years before this letter was written, Smyrna was actually destroyed. And for centuries, it lay dormant, unbuilt. But eventually, it was rebuilt over time. So Smyrna was actually a city that was resurrected itself. And in verse 9, Jesus continues. He says, I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. 
I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews but are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Now, there's a lot going on in this church. This is a suffering church. This is a persecuted church. They are suffering for their faith in Jesus Christ. They are suffering for putting their belief and their trust in Jesus Christ. Some of these Christians have actually lost work because of their belief in Jesus Christ. You know, I once knew someone who missed out on a promotion at work because of what they believed. They were the better worker. They'd actually been at the company longer. They were even more educated than some of the other people. And they were shocked when someone else got the promotion. Now, this was a humble man. This was a, a guy who wanted to blame others. This was a, a really good guy. And, and he really racked his brain. He really thought through a lot of different scenarios and a lot of different things. And we, we talked many, many times. But he knew his boss. And he knew his boss made fun of him and ridiculed him and just did not like that he was a believer. And after it was all said and done, the only reason he could boil down to the fact that he didn't get that promotion was that he was a believer and that he knew the Lord. But Jesus reminds this church that they are rich. Not material things, not in money, but in spirit. That they are rich in treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy. Now these Christians are, they're being mocked. There's defamation of character. They're being ridiculed. The, the text specifically says slander. I wonder if you've ever been made fun of for being a Christian. I wonder if you've ever heard some jokes around the water cooler or the coffee pot. Those of you that I work with, some younger people, I wonder, well I know, it's school. If you ever get a hard time for, for what you believe. I wonder if you've ever been directly put down, just directly put down. You know, what you believe is just garbage. You know, my wife, she'll tell you that she couldn't get a date when she was in high school. See, she was a pastor's daughter, and she was made fun of a lot. See, there's a funny thing about pain. Even though she was in high school a little while ago, maybe a few more years than a little while ago, Something funny about pain is you remember it like it was yesterday. And she was made fun of a lot for her values and her morals. And she was even telling me this past week as we were discussing when I was talking about that she couldn't get a date when she was in high school. But I'll tell you, that worked out pretty good for me. <laughs> I got to marry this most beautiful, have you ever seen my wife? This beautiful, amazing woman, right? Who's got these wonderful Christian morals who, who I, I, mean, I really needed in my early 20s when we got together. To be honest with you, she, she set me straight. You know, but I wonder, has that ever happened to you? Have you ever lost friends for what you believe? There was a time in my life when I was younger where I actually walked away from God for a while. I was selfish. I was dumb. But I, I got lost in the world. I got lost in the, in the party scene. You know, I hit the bar scene on the weekends, and, and I had a, some friends there, or, or I thought they were friends. And I remember this one guy I did care about a lot. And uh, we go to this one place almost every Friday night. But sooner or later, you know, God never, never lets go of you. And I, I remember God tugging at my heart. I ended up joining this small group and attending this church. And, and I felt like God might have been calling me into ministry someday. Now, not tomorrow, not next week, but maybe someday. But I remember thinking, sitting in that bar scene on Friday nights, that in order to follow that call, I got to get rid of this garbage in my life. And this one particular Friday night, I'm sitting across from that friend. And uh, I don't know if it was an impression from the Lord or what, but 
I just, I just had to say to him, I said, man, I, I love you. I'm not judging you or anything, but I feel like I might be being called into ministry someday. I don't know if you get what I'm talking about, but this has got to be my last time here. This has got to be my last time doing this kind of thing on the weekends. And I'll never forget the rage and anger that, that took over him. He about leaped across the table in this bar. He was furious. Now, I realize now in hindsight, and I didn't mean to do this, but probably, it probably made him look inward a little bit in his own life. We didn't talk for a very long time. Thankfully, our friendship ended up continuing. We were both off on Fridays, and later I got married, and my wife worked on Fridays, so we started meeting for pizza and video games on Fridays. And uh, he ended up coming to the Lord over pizza and video games on Fridays. So I'm thankful our friendship continued. But I've got to be honest with you, I've lost many friends. Many friends for what I believe. I wonder if you've lost friends for what you believe too. And the letter goes on to say that most who are persecuting these Christians say they are Jews, but they are not. They are from the synagogue of Satan. See, these people, they, they may have been Jewish of descent, they may have followed an Old Testament law or two, but they did not love God. And most importantly, they rejected Jesus as the Messiah. They rejected Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And these people, they, they were evil in their thoughts and in their words and in their actions and in the way they were persecuting these Christians up until the point we're going to find out that they were even killing and murdering some of them and putting some of them in prison. It's interesting, there's a play on words here that Jesus chooses. He says that the Christians in Smyrna are being slandered. And Satan literally means slanderer. So these Christians are being slandered by a group of people that live up to the crowd that Jesus puts them in. Now, these were fake Jews. And we may not be evil like them. We may know and love the Lord. But I think that there's a warning here for us too. Because we in our culture, we have our own brand of fake, don't we? We have our our own brand of fake. And if we're not careful, we could get caught up in a fake life too. I mean, just look at how some of us can portray ourselves online. Right? Nobody wakes up in the morning with messed up hair and, and drool on her face and zits on her face, no makeup, no, no gel in our hair, and takes a picture, posts a selfie, and says, I'm ready for our day. Right? You know, we, don't, we just don't do that. Right? Sometimes we're tempted to portray a certain version of ourselves to our neighbors. We've got to keep up with the Joneses. Sometimes we're tempted to portray a certain version of ourselves to our friends or to those that we work with. Sometimes we're tempted to portray a certain version of ourselves when we, when we talk or when we tell stories in our actions, even in the pictures that we do post. You know, there are pictures online. I've seen on Instagram Kellers that do not exist in this world by the time that we put filters and all that stuff on it from our vacations and our lives. You know what I'm talking about? But here's my point. Reading this 2,000 years later, I think there's a warning for us here. That we ought to look at this and say, let us not be tempted to be fake Christians. Let us not be tempted to be fake Christians, especially under persecution. When we hear jokes going around, or when we hear people putting down what Christians believe, let us not kind of hide in the corner. 
Let us not lose our passion for Jesus. Let's not deny what we believe or who we are. Let us be faithful to Christ as Jesus encourages the church of Smyrna to be. He goes on in verse 10. He says, don't be afraid of of what you're about to suffer. You know, there's some teachers of the Bible out there who think and teach that following God guarantees you will have money, that you'll never get sick, and you'll never have any problems in your life. Well, the Bible teaches a lot differently. The Bible says that God will allow suffering in your life. The, The Bible says that God will allow suffering in your life. Why? Well, because it will make you more like Jesus. Because it will deepen your faith. Because it will build your character. Because it will teach you to worship rather than to worry. You know, there's three kinds of suffering in this world. The first is common suffering. And this is universal. It doesn't matter if you're Baptist or Buddhist, Muslim or atheist, okay? If a hurricane comes to town, it doesn't just pick on the Christians, okay? There's, there's suffering that, that everybody suffers, right? Certain things. There's suffering in this world that we all share in common. Now, carnal suffering is the second kind. That's the kind of suffering that you bring upon yourself from your own sin. You know, if you break the law, you might go to jail, right? If you live in a moral life, there could be consequences. If I spend more money than I make and go into debt, I could face bankruptcy, Right? That's my fault too. It's my choices that led to that result. So it's my fault. It's not God's fault. It's not somebody else's fault. It's because of my bad decisions. It's because of my sin. But not all suffering is because of my sin. The third type of suffering is suffering that God allows to happen. See, because there's sin in this world, we all suffer from other people's sins. And here's the hard pill to swallow. Sometimes God will protect us from that suffering, but sometimes God will allow it to happen. The Bible says that sometimes suffering is according to the will of God. Why? Because God is more interested in your character than your comfort. Jesus says, I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. You know, I used to have a real problem when the Bible would say that we're going to be tested. I used to have a real problem with that. I said, why, why, why would God need to test us? You know, he, he, he's omniscient. He knows everything, right? So why do we need to be tested? You know, why does God need to know the answer of, you know, whether I'm going to pass or fail? It's like shooting a dead dog. You know, why, why does he need to do that? I used to have a real problem with that until I realized somebody told me, well, the test isn't for God. The test is for you. God already knows the answer. The test is for you to find out the answer. What's the test? Well, will I apply what I have learned so far? Have I grown to be more Christ-like over the past weeks, months, years? And ultimately here, during suffering, will I be faithful? Will I be faithful during suffering? That's Jesus' challenge during suffering. That's Jesus' challenge to this church in Smyrna. He says, be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. You see, unlike five of these seven letters to the seven churches, there's no correction for the church in Smyrna. 
So there's something about suffering. It kind of purifies your motives. It kind of purifies your direction. There's no correction for the church in Smyrna. There's only encouragement. Be faithful during your suffering. Now, for a great many of us, we know that that's easier said than done. This letter that Jesus writes to the church in Smyrna is like, hey, I know you're suffering. You're doing a good job. Keep up the good work. Be faithful. If this was me, I'd be like, okay. (laughs) Have you ever suffered? (laughs) How? (laughs) Jesus, how? Be faithful during times of suffering. It's hard. Many of you know the hardship my family has been walking through for a number of years, specifically the last 16 months. You know, my daughter has been very, very ill. In fact, the last time the church has asked me to preach on suffering was this past August. I hope the church doesn't ask me to preach on suffering for a while now. It's it's been a lot. (laughs) And this past August, I came and I shared with you that uh, because my daughter's been very sick, my wife and and her uh, needed to move to Nashville, Tennessee for six weeks for her to get some treatment. It was a very difficult time for our family. But if you remember, when they returned, things were really good. And I got to stand up here and I got to share with you some amazing stories of how God had walked us through all these steps and all this, these, uh, these victory stories during this time of incredible suffering in our life. It was amazing. Well, this past December, things began to take a turn for the worse. And during the first week of February... It was, uh, it was the very, very uh, worst time of suffering that, that, uh, that has ever shook our family. And for weeks, for weeks, um, our family was just, just on autopilot, just, just, just numb, just, just trying to get through. And uh, to protect my family's privacy, I, I just, I can't share the details with you, but I need to share this part to get to this point, Okay. During this time, I have trusted a prayer partner. I have a prayer partner from a mission organization that my wife and I support financially. He's a great guy. And we talk about a lot of things, and we speak a lot. And he and I have spoken several times during these past few weeks. He's been uh, calling. He's been great. He's been praying for me. But i got to be honest with you. During one of these conversations, he said something that really came out of left field. He said, Doug, I I don't know how you're doing it. He said, if I were in your shoes, I'd be really questioning God. I'd be questioning my faith. He said, in fact, I'd be angry. I'd be cursing at God. You know, have I not served you? Have I not raised my children right? Is this what I deserve in return? These are the type of things he said to me. So I was was pretty astounded. I didn't know how to respond, and so I was quiet for a little while. And there's really only one thing I could say in return. And just after a little bit of silence, I said, man, you know, in my experience, when we start talking to God about what we deserve, we can get into some real trouble. And then I got off the phone. Now, he's a good guy. I love this guy. But I went home thinking about that. And I've been thinking about that for a while now. And I'm sure all of you have had your share of suffering in this life. All of you could bring stories to the table here this morning. And I know I've had my share of suffering before this time in my life too. And there was that time in my youth where, where I did walk away from the Lord out of selfishness and just really stupidity. But I just have to be honest with you. My faith in God 
has never wavered during times of suffering. And it's not because I'm special or anything like that. For me, it started when I was a kid. See, I didn't have the best childhood. There was abuse. There was loss. There was really no stability there. But the one thing I can remember very vividly was I had this picture of Jesus hanging in my room when I was a kid. It was Jesus surrounded by children. It now hangs in my daughter's room. I have a, have a, to, a picture of it to show it to you. There's this picture of Jesus hanging in my room and surrounded by children. You see, the only stability I could ever remember in my entire life since I was a little kid is Jesus. It's the only stability I could ever remember. He was there for me in the very beginning. And I still believe that he's there for me and my family now. I may not understand what he's doing, but I believe he's there for me now. You know, my father-in-law was my my best friend, and he was my mentor. Before he was my father-in-law, he hired me. It was my very first gig as a pastor. He grew a church from 200-some people to 2,000 people. He was a fantastic pastor. He was loved by so many people. He passed away of cancer on a Friday night. And that same weekend, I was working in another church at the time. They asked me to come in and preach that weekend to a grieving church who was suffering, who didn't understand. It was suffering with the question, why? Why would God take such a good man, a man of God, in the prime of his life? So let me share with you what I shared with them. You know, when we're suffering, it does us no good to focus on questions we cannot answer. Questions like, why did God allow my marriage to fall apart? Why did God allow me to lose my job? Why did God allow my kid to find himself in so much trouble? Why did God allow me to lose all my life savings? Why did God allow my child to be sick? Why did God take this person I love so much away from me? It, takes, it does us no good to focus on those types of questions because the answer in that moment is, I don't know. I don't know. So what we do need to do is that to find faith in times of suffering, we need to focus on what we do know. We know that God is good. We know that God loves us. We know that God is in control. And we know that God has a plan. Now, we may not understand that plan, and we may not like that plan, but we know that it's true. And how do we know that it's true? Well, we look to the past. You see, I can have faith that God is going to see my family through this time of suffering right now because he just did it back in August. And if I have trouble remembering it, I could look it up on YouTube since I preached to you back in August. I can remember it, that he saw me through that time of suffering, and he's going to do it again. You can have faith that God will see you through your time of suffering when you look back upon your life, and you remember the times that he saw you through previous times of suffering. We need to bow down and worship him. Thank him for what he has done. Thank him for what he is doing. And thank him for what he is about to do, even though we may not understand it, even though it may hurt, even though there's pain to be found. We need to thank him for what he is doing. And what's more, he's reminding the church of Smyrna the very same thing. Let's go back to the the first verse of this letter to the church of Smyrna. Verse 8, he says, These are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life 
again. Remember in the beginning of this letter, he addressed himself as the first and the last. He reminds them to look to their past. To look to the times he has already seen them through times of suffering. And he points them to their future. And he says, during the coming suffering, I'm going to be there to help you through that time too. And Jesus closes with these words. In verse 11, he says, whoever has ears... Let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. The end of this letter is like the beginning. That there is no suffering in the second death. There is no suffering in heaven. That he who is resurrected will resurrect you too. Not just for all eternity, but resurrect you right here, right now. Your life right here, right now. Jesus stepped out of an empty tomb to step into your empty life to resurrect your marriage, to resurrect your hope, to resurrect your job situation, to resurrect your relationships, to resurrect healing from the pain of your past, to resurrect your happiness, to resurrect your financial situation, to resurrect your passion for your life, to resurrect your ambitions for your future, to resurrect your dreams for your children. The question is, do you believe it? Will you put your faith in it? The question that Jesus has for us here this morning is the same question that he had for Smyrna. Will you have faith no matter what? Would you pray with me? Father God, I thank you. I thank you for your word. God, I thank you that you are with us during times of suffering. And God, although we may not understand what you are doing, and although, God, the pain is very real, we are reminded time and time again by your word that you are with us. But most importantly, God, that you didn't just sit up there on the throne and sit back and watch. That you stepped down into the mess with us and you walked amongst us. That there's nothing that we go through in this life that you have not experienced yourself. There's no suffering that we go through that you have not experienced yourself, even up to the point of death. That everything that we go through, you can relate to. That you care about us. So God, we pray for hope. God, we pray that you would strengthen our faith. We pray, God, that during times of suffering we could come and lay that at the foot of the cross and that we would have trust in you, that we would trust that you would walk us through that and that someday we could look back in hindsight and we could see how you were working, that we could see how you were moving, that we could see how you were walking with us every step of the way and that, God, we would not waste it, that it would be a gift, that it would be a story that we could share with someone else someday when they are going through times of suffering. That we could say, you know, I know a God who loves you, who cares about you, and I know it may not seem like it right now, but can I tell you a story from my life and how God walked me through it? That we could share with others and carry each other's burdens as your word commands us to do. So God, let us love one another as you have loved us. We thank you, God, and we love you. Amen.